I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello, and welcome to another episode of All Things Policy. I'm Anushka Saxena, a research analyst with the Takshashila Institution's Indo-Pacific Studies program, and I'm joined by my colleague Amit Kumar, who is also a research analyst with the program. Welcome, Amit. Thank you, Anushka. Happy to be here. Right. So, in today's episode. Uh, which we're calling uh, the big hype around Blinken's Beijing visit, we're going to discuss the conclusions and uh, the analysis from U.S. State Secretary Antony Blinken's recent visit to Beijing, China. He reached China on June 16th and his visit concluded on June 19th. During his visit, he met with Chin Gang, China's foreign minister and state councillor, Wang Yi, who is the director of the Foreign Affairs Office of the Chinese Communist Party Central Committee, and of course, Chinese President and CPC General Secretary Xi Jinping. And I'm going to leave the context setting to Amit, but at the outset, I think the visit wasn't the big breakthrough in US-China relations, which all the representatives on the Chinese side agree are at its lowest point in the contemporary context. And I think more or less analysts were at the same page on expecting this. I think none of us had big expectations from the visit. But personally for myself, I also didn't expect the visit to be as kind of succinct in explaining to us the structural rivalry, the the structural nature of the challenge that exists in the US-China relations. And I think if nothing else, this is what the visit achieved. It it communicated to the both sides very clearly where the problem is. And I don't think the visit was a success point when it comes to how these problems have to be tackled in the near future. That said, Amit, let me begin by asking you, why is there this big hype around this visit? Why should we care about this visit? Why is it relevant? And what is the context with regards to the US-China relationship or with regards to the background of why this visit was postponed in the first place? If you could tell us about that. Yeah, sure. So uh, when we talk about the relevance of this meet, we have to remind ourselves that off late, the US-China relations have not been at its uh, at its best for some time now. And as it was also suggested by Xi Jinping and other Chinese commentators, and you know, Xi Jinping himself said that the current state of China-US relations is at its lowest since the establishment of the bilateral relations. So the question arises, how did uh, the two countries come to this point? And this would also set the context for uh, Blinken's uh, much-hyped visit to China. So, I mean, the first factor that comes to my mind is the Taiwan question, which was compounded by and exacerbated by the Pelosi visit last August. So Taiwan has been a sticking issue for both the US and China, where uh, US is committed to preservation of the status quo. And while under Xi Jinping, reunification with Taiwan has become a priority for the government. And therefore, this has become a sticking issue in the bilateral relations. And following that uh, Pelosi visit in August last year, China severed cooperation 
with the U.S. in eight key areas. It included theater command talks, defense policy coordination, maritime consultative agreement, climate, counter-narcotics, illegal immigrants, transnational crimes, and legal assistance in criminal matters. So these are the key eight areas of cooperation that China severed the dialogue and cooperation in. The second factor that comes to my mind is the escalation of the tech war that started with, I mean, if you have to put a date, that would be October 7, when the US came out with the regulations, export control regulation and measures. And since then, there have been multiple rounds of sanctions that have been imposed. And several Chinese entities have been added to the entity list. And the aim has been to restrict China's access to key technologies. U.S. has also managed to rally its allies, including Netherlands, Japan, and South Korea, in its attempt to constrain China's tech advancement. And the Chinese meeting readouts and uh, communics that on a daily basis are replete with uh, the condemnation of the U.S. actions and the need for attaining self-sufficiency and accusing the U.S. of block politics and that it is driven by Cold War mentality. Then later in February, when the two countries were supposed to have some, Blinken was supposed to visit China in February, the balloon gate incident happened, wherein uh, a Chinese spy balloon was found hovering over uh, the Pentagon. And this really derailed the efforts that were underway to repair the ties and sharpened the American domestic perception of the Chinese. And that kind of halted the efforts toward uh, repairing the ties that were underway. Then U.S.'s refusal to lift off sanctions on Li Shangfu, who was appointed as China's defense minister. And this clearly impinges on China's image. And this has been, again, one of the sticking issues. And China has been demanding that the sanctions be uh, taken off. U.S. has been reluctant so far. So these are the factors that kind of have brought both the countries to this juncture wherein cooperation has become very difficult. And of course, this start to begin manifest in, I mean, if you look at, there have been increased uh, frequency of dangerous Chinese maneuvers against uh, American warships and the aircrafts in the Indo-Pacific and specifically the South China Sea. And in some cases, they also they also violate uh, international treaties. So, the, so there have been a lot of uh, built up tension between the two largest uh, countries, which also happen to be arch rivals. And therefore, a meeting was necessary. So at least uh, the positive, only positive that one can think of out of this meeting is that the countries agreed to talk at least. But yeah, I mean, as you said, it doesn't seem like that much was achieved on this front to assuage the concerns that remain within the two sides in the two administration. But yeah, I would like to come back to you and know your thoughts on the visit. What do you make of it? Right. I think you mentioned some very interesting points about one of the important aspects, one of the important countermeasures deployed by China in the aftermath of the Pelosi visit, which was military to military consultation. And I think that was one issue that was raised during this particular meeting. And I think this was a setback Blinken faced on behalf of the US, which was that China refused to kickstart military to military dialogue, which is, of course, a really kind of negative development given what you mentioned vis-a-vis the dangerous maneuvers in the South China Sea and the and the overall militarization and, and the subsequent tensions in the Taiwan Strait. But if you ask for my thoughts on uh, Blinken's visit to Beijing, I think I'm not going to go into the details of the readouts and the reports and the interviews that came out after it, but but I think I can use what was said to to kind of give an idea of what I feel about it. So 
these readouts and reports. So for Chin Gang's visit, there was a readout from the the US uh, Department of State and the Chinese Foreign Ministry. Same goes for Wang Yi. And I think for Xi Jinping's meeting, there was a readout from the US Department of State, but Global Times had a coverage on what she said on the Chinese front. And then there was an overall concluding readout from the US Department of State. And these, these readouts and reports indicate that both the sides went into the meetings with quite different mindsets, quite different ideas of what the world order is. And these are not new things. But as I mentioned earlier, this this meeting was the most succinct articulation of each side's structural kind of differences of opinions, if I may say so. So on the, on the one hand, we see that Blinken's entire argument is based on the two sides handling quote-unquote competition well and accepting it as part of the neg- negotiations towards a healthy relationship. But on the other hand, Xi Jinping's statement suggests that China does not want to recognize that the relations between the two sides are competitive. Rather, he expects and he believes that the US and China are peers. And this is, even if the US is describing it as a competition, it's not, as he said, a trend of the times. It's not in keeping uh, with what China's perception of the current global order is, because it contributes to the idea of deglobalization, the idea of violent conflict, so on and so forth, all of which China is supposedly opposed to, right? And so China believes that this recognition of its status as a as a U.S. peer is the essential item that will contribute to the stability of the relationship as opposed to the acknowledgement that the relationship is competitive, which the U.S. side is promoting. Then the second aspect is that Blinken continued to reiterate that America will stand up for its interests and values globally. It will use diplomacy and what you also alluded to, alliances to address issues that concern it. But on the other hand, both Wang Yi and Chin Gang iterated that, you know, topics such as Taiwan or rights of the Uyghur Muslims in Xinjiang, these are all core issues of Chinese domestic politics that need not become a subject of the US-China dynamic. So like topics like Taiwan, Tibet, Hong Kong and Xinjiang, they are they're subjects of contention for the US. US and they and they've continued to be for the for, for the past three, four years, but they are non-issues for China in the bilateral or multilateral context. Then the third aspect is that Blinken clearly stated that America expects China to open lines of communication across any and all aspects of the relationship so as to quote unquote avoid miscalculation and misperception. But China has refused to reopen, as I said, military to military exchanges on the grounds that their national defense minister is sanctioned under CATSA. China instead suggests that to manage this misperception problem that the US is talking about, the US should drop the act and uh, drop the act where it says that China is a threat, that China is a strategic rival. And, you know, US should just overall drop the charade of China containment. And that is how it will solve the misperception problem, as opposed to by opening these dialogues that are leading to no conclusion. And finally, it seems as if Lincoln had hoped that China would be open to accepting US's legitimate concerns and finding ways to negotiate around them. I think he also believed that the relationship hadn't deteriorated to the point that they couldn't be salvaged. But 
From China's perspective, it seems as if Beijing was prepared to clearly communicate to Blinken that the relationship is at its worst at the current juncture. And all steps the US is taking now, they're all, as they said, reversing the wheels of history. They're not taking the relationship forward and they're only contributing to the decline. So overall, no one, like I said, predicted or expected the Blinken visit to lead to any massive breakthrough in the relations. But the difference of mindsets and the diametrically opposed views on everything from the nature of the world order to what the issues the two sides should even communicate on, what, what these issues are, what these issues should be, have just shown us how structural the challenge is. Yeah, Anushka, those were some very interesting insights and analysis. Stay tuned to All Things Policy. We'll be right back after a short commercial break. I couldn't agree more. I don't think the meeting achieved anything substantial, even though nothing substantial was expected in the first place. The fact that, again, we did not witness a restoration on cooperation and dialogue in any of the eight areas, let alone defense, maritime or uh, theater command talks, tells us, or even a commitment towards that end, tells us that the meeting did not manage to assuage any of the concerns. From the American perspective, and yeah, there was a clear difference in perceptions if you look at how the Americans perceive this visit and how the Chinese perceive this visit. And as I said, I agree that the Americans went with, with an intent to not have a breakthrough, but uh, at least manage the relations, kickstart efforts that could manage the relations well, as was also highlighted in the press conference before the Blink- by the administration before the Blinken visit. While Chinese, it looked like they, they, they utilized the opportunity to just uh, get back at the Americans and rant about their concerns and clearly convey to them what the problems in the relationship were. And from the American perspective, it was also interesting that just before the Blinken visit to China, the U.S.'s Commerce Department added 31 Chinese companies that had some sort of connection with the PLA to the entity list. And these sanctions were aimed at restricting PLA's military modernization plans. So, yeah, yeah, I quite agree with what you said. Right. And I think I'm just, just as we're having a conversation, there is another interesting aspect that emerged and is being talked about a lot in the aftermath of the visit, which is the idea of fentanyl, right? Which is, again, from, from Chin Gang's interview that was published with Newsweek to what Blinken said about the fentanyl issue in, the, in, in his uh, engagement with the press after the meeting. We see how the two sides have massive differences in perception and massive differences uh, in their idea of what role, what policy responsibility they have in the issue, right? So, for example, the U.S., by the way, in the U.S., for those who rage it between 18 to 49, fentanyl overdose, uh, opioid overdose is the leading cause of deaths. And many of these precursors for these fentanyl drugs, uh, these opioids are manufactured in China and exported to various parts of the world. And so what the U.S. says is that this drug, this problem of drug abuse, this and this massive wave of deaths that it is leading to is should be blamed on China. And so China should take export control measures to kind of restrict these precursors from going out. And uh, this was also a major part of the counter uh, narcotics operations that U.S. and China China were running since 2019 and which again have not been restored uh, since they were 
kind of stopped by China in the aftermath of the Pelosi visit. And China's response to that, uh, as we can see from Chin Gang statements, or as we can see from the statements of Yu Haibin, who is the deputy director of the National Narcotics Control Commission of China. He also gave a press briefing in the aftermath of the meeting. And they both say that China has been very responsible with the fentanyl kind of export. It has an export control mechanism under which the Narcotics Control Commission and the Anti-Drug Bureau of the Ministry of Public Security, they make sure that any of the drugs being exported follow the convention, the 1988 convention, UN convention on uh, psychotropic substances, so on and so forth. And what they say is that because any of these precursors that they export to Mexico, which which the US says is the middleman from China to uh, US are not controlled substances. They're not illegal according to Chinese or Mexican laws. And so China is not responsible for this. And then, you know, in his uh, interview for Newsweek, Chin Gang also said that, you know, China has this history of uh, fighting against opium import, you know, when uh, when the British launched the opium war, so on and so forth. And so while China empathizes with the US, the solution to the problem is not blaming China, but it is to look inward and to strengthen America's drug abuse laws, so on and so forth. So while, and I find this, uh, find myself in a weird position saying this, while I find it very hard to find any legal or political loopholes in China's arguments, I also understand that from the American political perspective, especially since the election cycle is around for 2024, China is an easy target. And this issue also becomes a motivation for US to kind of, armed with China into restarting the counter-narcotics conversation. But yes, this development has been interesting and it remains to be seen how China continues to react to American assessments of China's role in the fentanyl overdose problem. If anything, this uh, meeting has managed to achieve or highlight, it has only underlined the structural differences and the deep fault lines that have taken roots between these two countries. So going forward, what, what what is your assessment going forward, given neither side is willing to retreat on the contending issues? How do you see, do you see any normalization of relations or resetting of ties going forward? Right. I think that's a very tough question to answer. But if I have to do my best, I don't think there's any status quo ante in this relationship anymore. There is no resetting of ties or normalization of relations, at least in the foreseeable future. That is because, and uh, I think we've used this phrase multiple times, times of that is because of the structural differences in the relationship and like you said because neither uh, because the relationship has come to a point where stakes on the table on both sides are issues that neither side can afford to back down on and there are no innovative ideas no creative spaces left for negotiation on these anymore it seems as if both have reached their brink on how they're responding. And so resetting and normalization wouldn't be the trend that I would suggest going forward. But what I would say is that Chin Gang reciprocating the idea of visiting, uh, reciprocating on the idea of visiting US at a mutually convenient time could be, uh, you know, another milestone, another step in this this conversation between US and China. Like I said, it's a good thing that they're finally on the table. They're finally talking. But I think there is a massive need at the Chinese end to really amend their attitude on 
having a conversation and on the issues that are negotiable of course then uh, from from the political perspective or if you have to empathize with the cpc you wouldn't say that they should negotiate on these issues but they have to if they really believe that the us china relationship has to be a peer relationship and has to lead to global stability china has said multiple times even li shangfu also said during the shangri la dialogue that us and china have to cooperate have to be substantive in their conversations because the us china relationship is central to global peace and stability but for that to happen china really has to make amends on how it approaches the us especially like you said this visit felt as if they were just ranting about their concerns and humiliating blinken which should not have been the case and also as um, uh, us uh, defense secretary lloyd austin said at the shangri la dialogue he is also sanctioned in russia but that does not stop him from having a conversation with his russian counterpart because ultimately it's in some sort of mutual benefit or interest so i think that would be i think my assessment of what should happen and what could happen going forward but any any final thoughts from you i completely agree with uh, what what we said given the structural uh, differences uh, that have crept into the bilateral relations and as i said neither side is willing to retreat on the contending issues and those contending issues being first on taiwan i mean us will uh, will oppose any forceful unification and bad for the status quo while also opposing uh, taiwanese independence but and here the meeting point would lie in the agreement over a status quo between the two uh, between the us and uh, china but given that reunification again as i mentioned with taiwan is a critical is critical to national she's uh, national rejuvenation plans and that china has not denounced a forceful means and peaceful reunification is not largely in picture tensions on this front will remain second uh, us's uh, partnership in the indo pacific and uh, on the fonox freedom of navigation the south china sea is are not uh, likely to stall uh, in any time soon if if anything they will only get uh, it will only get uh, deeper going forward right and thirdly us's tech restrictions on china uh, going forward as you have seen the trends it will only the stranglehold uh, on the chinese tech sector will only increase and these are the issues that chinese take very seriously and given that us is not willing to compromise on any of these factors and it shouldn't i mean i don't see a viable ground or uh, facilitating ground for a proper uh, resetting of ties or uh, reconciliation yeah i think um, to add to that and these would be my final thoughts not a recommendation or a prediction or a speculation of the sort but just an observation which is that i think trust is the fundamental bone of rather lack of trust is the fundamental bone of contention here you know any time either side makes a move the other side perceives it as targeted towards it and ultimately there develops an action reaction cycle that leads to further deterioration of the relationship like uh, we saw this reiterated during blinken's meeting with xi jinping also and i think wang yi as well that uh, us has concerns about china setting up intelligence facilities in uh, cuba and china just says that you know this is a civil uh, cooperation there is no such surveillance activity so on and so forth and of course cuba is a sovereign nation and has the right to cooperate with countries however it wants china has similar concerns about us bases in philippines about what us is planning to do with its as you said phone ops operations and so on and so forth so the trust factor is completely missing and again this is not to say that 
make tall claims about oh how both sides should work towards developing trust i mean they should but i can understand why it would also be hard and i think a starting point could be cooperation on the ukraine issue maybe because china has now began reiterating that its position on the ukraine crisis has changed it has gone from being neutral to actively promoting peace and you know if us and its allies in the west can look beyond the mistrust and misperception and maybe try and find some value in um, china's kind of peace process and peace brokering that could potentially be a good start that's it with this we come to the end of the episode thank you so much amit for your insights and thank you to our listeners for tuning into another episode of all things policy my pleasure thank you if you liked our show don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the ivm network you can tune into them on the ivm podcast app ivmpodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts you can also follow ivm on social media the handle is at ivm podcasts on twitter facebook and instagram and hey if you'd like to dive into takshashila's research on technology strategy and economic affairs check us out at our twitter handle at takshashila inst or our website takshashila.org.in